As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Strasburg has the sign, nods his head, slowly comes set at the letters. He fires. Swing and a miss on a curveball. He struck him out. And Strasburg survives the two-out walks stranding his first two runners of the night. The look ahead to 2020 begins as they clear off the confetti from Pennsylvania Avenue. Hello and welcome in the Nationals Talk Podcast. I'm Tim Shovers, joined by Chase Hughes and our Nationals insider Todd Dibas. One week after the Nats captured their first ever World Series title. You weren't dreaming that actually happened. On today's show, we will get to our leftover, or I should maybe say hungover thoughts from the whirlwind post-championship week and also bring on our colleague Savannah McCann, who was live at the scene at Nationals Park on the evening of Game 7. We start, though, by looking at yet another busy offseason facing GM Mike Rizzo and Todd Steven Strasburg over the weekend opted out. Are that's the favorite to sign the now reigning World Series MVP? Yeah, I think so. I think this is more a situation. I mean, he's a free agent obviously, but this is more a situation of where he was outperforming his contract. They built in the opt-outs when he signed the extension in 2016. So in case, you know, this situation arrives, he can kind of restructure things. Basically, to me, he's looking for two more years and probably double what he had remaining on that contract, which was, you know, four years, $100 So he's probably, in my mind, looking in the six-year, $200 million range, uh, and also to me, that seems pretty feasible for the Nationals to be prime contenders to meet those demands and, and bring him back. Yeah, I find it really interesting. I've heard a few people say that maybe Max Scherzer's free agent contract is a good comp for what Strasburg could command this offseason. If, and if it's six years, $200 million, that's obviously pretty close to the seven years, 210 that Scherzer got. And it you know, at face value, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, Strasburg's not as good as Scherzer has been. You know, Scherzer came to the Nationals with uh, a Cy Young trophy and, and a, a much more detailed track record than, than Strasburg had to this point. But, of course, several years have passed and, and the market has changed. And just like Scherzer, Strasburg's going into a free agent class where he's one of the top guys out there. And I also think there's a few things that, that are, are good selling points for Strasburg. One is that he's created this reputation in the postseason from what he did in this October to where, you know, I'm not sure there's many guys you'd rather have on the mound in a playoff start. And the Nationals, of course, after winning the World Series, would like to go try and win another one. So if you're getting into the playoffs and you expect to be there, uh, Strasburg's a guy that you want in, in the mix. And then, you know, obviously the, the core of this team has been and was throughout this postseason, they're starting pitching. And Max Scherzer isn't going to be a great pitcher forever. And we kind of were faced with his mortality in, in recent months with the, the injury and the back injury and how he had to gut it out just to start that game seven. And if you look ahead to next season if, and say you don't have Strasburg, obviously you would replace him with somebody in that rotation. But given Scherzer, you, at this point, you don't know if you're going to get the exact same guy that you've had in recent years. You know, I think you'd feel a lot better with Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin at least you know, being part of that nucleus. So uh, I would guess that the Nationals are the favorites to sign Steven Strasburg. I think the fact that he re-signed previously and that bucked all the preconceived notions we thought about him wanting to pitch on the West Coast, 
I think the odds seem to be heavily in the Nationals' favor to retain him. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. All right, Chase, to build off that, when Scherzer signed his seven-year deal, he was 29 years old. And we have been through five years of that deal, and he's a Cy Young finalist this year, so you know how that one's played out. And when he signed, people thought they'd get four or five good years, and then the back end, you kind of eat it. Well, Strasburg right now is 31 years old. He, his birthday's in the summertime. We've talked about now here on this podcast so far, look, him maybe getting six years. Are you concerned about if they do sign him for six years, like how many years of quote-unquote Steven Strasburg are they getting if they sign him with a six-year deal? I wouldn't be that concerned because I think you, you like the idea of a long-term deal because Scherzer has, what, two years left on his contract, yeah. so you have some insurance beyond him being here. And and I think the the way that Strasburg has developed into such a a, a really good pitcher you know, a guy who doesn't throw 99, 90, or, or 100 anymore. He throws more 94, 95, and he's developed his changeup and his curveball to be just the type of guy where I, even if I think he lost a little bit of velocity on his fastball, he'd still be a really, really effective pitcher and be able to pitch at an all-star level. So I think you like his, his long-term future. Um, but what's going to be interesting is, you know, the Nationals have had a pretty good track record, maybe not of identifying pitching prospects, but when it comes to free agency and trades, they've done a really good job, and they knew exactly when to give up on Jordan Zimmerman previously. And I thought he was a really good pitcher. I thought he was the guy that they should have resigned. They let him go, and obviously we know what happened with him in Detroit. So basically I would just trust the Nationals and Mike Rizzo's judgment on projecting what Strasburg is moving forward. But I think you can maybe look at it the way, like you said, you looked at the Scherzer deal originally, where it's like maybe you have to eat a few of those years on the back end, even though right now it doesn't look like you're going to have to do that with Scherzer in hindsight. Todd, are they – I don't know a better way to say this. Are they overpaying with six years or is it kind of that question doesn't matter because it is what it is. He has the leverage right now. And if, if you want to win again, you're going to have to have him in the pitching. Yeah, I think it's the latter, Tim. And I, and I would agree with one of Chase's points of Steven Strasburg has learned how to pitch. We heard Davey Martinez say this over and over this year and off of the end of even the prior year, 2018. So you would think he's going to age pretty well these next one, two, three, maybe even four years. And then at the end, you know, so be it. It's, it's going to be what it is. And you can't, he's, he opted out of four years, right? So you're in a place where he's not going to take four with a bigger salary. That's not really right. the point. It's going to be, you know, at least five, most likely at least, Six seems the most likely number, and you're going to have to kind of live with it. One of the huge questions to me, and, and something I find most interesting, and Chase kind of alluded to this too, Max Scherzer had made 30-plus starts, I think, seven consecutive seasons before the Nationals signed him to a long-term deal. Obviously, that has not been the case for Steven Strasburg, who somehow this year ended up leading the National League in innings pitched. And so I say that to make the point, I wonder what – he thinks slash the Nationals think they may have figured out last offseason and through this year uh, when it comes to being able to keep this guy in the mound. Have they kind of unlocked the proper process to do that? You know, so many pitcher injuries are random, so you're just fighting the whole time to have the best foundation possible. And I wonder if they all think that together they have figured this out and that's another reason for him to come back here. And that's another reason that the Nationals are more apt to pay him and settle on, you know, six years. Todd, as we look at a possible shortlist outside of Washington for Strasburg, do you have a, a shortlist formulated? And to that, San Diego spent a lot of money last year on a third baseman. They have a bright young superstar in the making at shortstop. Is San Diego, Strasburg's hometown, potentially in the mix here this offseason? I mean, I'm sure San Diego will try. I think, you know, we've been talking about this a lot. To me, this is one of the narratives that is fortunately dying <laughs> in sports. I feel like it's always 
lazy to immediately say, well, this person grew up here, so he might go back there. You know, I'm sure this happened to Max Scherzer with St. Louis. Obviously, we went through this locally with Kevin Durant. And that was a big eye roll situation yeah. there. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't just, even take a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's going to be the usual suspect. Certainly, Philadelphia is going to be mentioned. Certainly, I would think, Tim, your Atlanta Braves are going to be mentioned. Definitely. Uh, the Yankees, obviously, I mean, just by default, it, it's like nauseating. Um, I don't have anything against the Yankees. It's just like not every free agent in the history of free agents is going to the Yankees, except there'll be 46 stories that say that's possible. Strasburg could not pitch in New York either with that media climate. Right. And I, you know, and Biden, uh, Boston should be mentioned too. You know, the Red Sox need some pitching as well. So, you know, there's going to be a long list of nonsense, and then we'll finally get down to brass tacks at, at some point. To me, the geography has become increasingly irrelevant. I think we're, we're seeing that across all sports. That kind of hometown idea is over. We're, we're seeing that across fandom. If you look at Twitter bios all the time, you see, like, Nats and Caps fan and Packers fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think all that stuff, we're in an era where that is dwindling. And if we're going to be just lazy and say, well, this person was born here and went to college over there and maybe they go there to me, that's just, you know, not thinking it through enough. All right. We now transition to the other big name that's destined for free agency. Different situation is we've known all year. He's going to be free agent, not like Strasburg, but there was some mystery and there was an opt out chase. uh, This is now the winter for Anthony Rendon to cash in and make some money. What's your gut feel on uh, if Rendon has played his last game in a Nats uniform? My gut feeling is that he leaves. I feel like if they were going to get a deal done with this guy, they would have done it already. And, and, you know, we've obviously followed this saga all the way through. But now that he's gotten to this point and he's put up the numbers that he did, you know, I was just looking at his numbers last night. That the, He had put up three really good seasons in a row, essentially, and then his OPS spikes over 1,000. He hits. 34 homers, RBIs go up over 100, uh, continued to play amazing defense. He just priced himself, I think, into a territory that it could be really tough for the Nationals uh, to, to deal with. You know, it's, it's really interesting. You win the World Series, and then you look at the top list of free agents in baseball, and right at the top are two Nationals players. You know, Garrett Cole is probably the best pitcher out there, given his age and how well he pitched this season, but Strasburg's no worse than number two, and then Anthony Rendon is probably the best position player. So it, it's some uh, just a fa- fascinating situation that the Nationals have found themselves in. But, you know, the Anthony Rendon thing, on one hand, I would have pause giving him seven years, which it seems like he's looking for at age 29, because as we've discussed, I think the oldest starting third baseman in baseball was Justin Turner this year at age 33. It's not a position that ages particularly well, but in the same vein, you have a long-term need at first base. And we saw how well Ryan Zimmerman transitioned defensively to first base. I think Anthony Rendon could certainly do it. But if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably going to leave because, uh, you know, the Nationals do happen to have their best prospects are infielders. And long-term, you're going to have to find a place for Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia um, if you want to fit him in there. And you you already have Trey Turner in the mix. So, if I had to guess, I think the, the price just got a little bit too high and the Nationals can kind of say thank you, Anthony Rendon, for all you've done and for this World Series you helped deliver. And, uh, you know, both sides maybe will move on and realize that it just isn't the best timing for a long-term deal. Todd, uh, build off that, what's your gut feel? And if it's not Rendon at third base, then give me some possible options for Mike Rizzo at third base for 2020. I think he probably leaves. I think they'll be certainly in the mix and among the short list at the end. We keep talking about this, or at least I keep talking about this, this idea of value to different teams. You know, we went over this with Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper walked, well, they were fine in the outfield here. There is nobody at third base to replace an MVP finalist. The drop off from there, if you try to do this internally, is massive. Uh, the drop off from to the rest of the market, like, Who's the second best third baseman available? Is it going to be Josh Donaldson at this point? Yeah, that, that, that's what I think. Yeah, right. So the, you know, what's the gap between him and Rendon? And Josh Donaldson does, isn't going to want two years; he's going to want four. So he just did his. I was hurt, and now here's a year, and now I'm back on the market situation. So that's going to be a tricky situation for him too. And I agree with Chase's point of the possibility of Rendon going to first base down the road. And I will add another element to that. 
Long before whatever contract Anthony Rendon receives next, the designated hitter is going to be in the National League, as much as that makes me nauseated and puts some throw yes. up in my mouth as I say it. It's just going gonna, it's, it's gonna to happen, and it's going to happen probably in the next two years. So everybody's going to start taking that into account this winter of where are we going to be able to put this guy eventually, um, you know, person X. And they're going to start thinking about who's going to be our DH and how, you know, and the DH flexibility that they will end up having, not to mention you have to pay a DH. So, you know, that's going to be part of the thought process too. And I agree with Chase on the general reluctance of seven years, but you can look at that seven years as you're not looking at him. If you're the nationals, you don't look at him and think he's a third baseman for the next seven years. You look at him and think he could be a really good hitter for the next seven years. Uh, he's going to be a really good third baseman probably for the next three. And then if he's at first base slash DH um, for the final half of that, okay, then. That'd be a lot of money for a first baseman. Todd, mm-hmm. Chase mentioned the name Luis Garcia. For Nats fans who very, very casually follow the farm system, if they could only name one or two guys, his name would be in there. Also, of course, Carter Keboom. So let's talk about that as it relates to them the infield, Rendon, all of it. How far close is Garcia from being a third baseman? Where does he fit in? Key boom, take it from there, please. Yeah, so for Garcia, been playing middle infield and shortstop most of the time at AA Harrisburg this year. Uh, His glove is ahead of his bat. He was in Major League Spring training uh, for a while, you know, and he turned 19 this year. I mean, he's super young. Uh, he struggled offensively for most of the year with the Senators. Better later in the year. Um, not a lot of power there, but really good in the field. You know, I just, I don't think he has the hit tools to be a major league third baseman. He could probably figure it out defensively. Um, so to me, he, he probably ends up at second base, to be honest, would be my guess with that guy. Carter Keyboom is more of a conundrum. We saw him come up and try to play shortstop in the major leagues and he couldn't do it. It was bad. Correct. And then he went back to Fresno and he played a handful of games at third base. Um, I don't have it right in front of me. I want to say he played about 10 games at third base, nine starts and made like five errors. So he is completely unprepared to be a major league third baseman starting next February. I'd be astonished if they tried that. Todd, one question I have on that is how is he, just as an athlete, because the, the one thing I would push back on is that Trey Turner, when he was in the minors, was a terrible defensive player. I mean, he was putting up 30 errors a year, and then he got to the majors, and he got better over time. And one of the things he said was that the field conditions are better in the majors, but also I think he just learned how to play defense. Do you think there's potential for Keeboom to follow a similar track? Uh, because obviously the, the offensive numbers are impressive. Yeah, he just, I don't... I didn't see anything he was good at defensively. Like his reads were bad, his making up. So like Trey Turner was still super fast, right? You know, so he was able to make up for mistakes, the kind of the way we saw Victor Robles in center field at the start of the year, right? He's such a freak athlete that if even if he didn't have an understanding, um, he was able to make up for it. But to your point, Chase, you know, obviously standing out there all year made him better. The complication here is, the Nationals don't want to replace an MVP finalist with a learning curve guy and cross their fingers. They're trying to win again. You know, if they were in a different situation, then absolutely put him over there, see what happens, and take it from there. But he's a bigger guy. He tried to play, to use his words when I talked to him at the, at the All-Star game. He was in the Futures game. Uh, he played downhill too much. Um, so basically the speed of the game was too much for him. Like his decision-making was not up to snuff because everything was moving too fast and he made the wrong decision and he'd take the wrong angle or he would charge too hard or he'd sit back when he shouldn't have. And all these things that, um, a shortstop isn't supposed to be doing now, those things are different at third base. Obviously the amount of ground you cover is widely reduced and, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like Chase, if they, thought there was bigger potential there or, you know, they know there was a need coming. So I don't understand why they wouldn't have done that immediately. And again, to your point of just 
put him there the entire time at Fresno. Why is he playing shortstop when you have Trey Turner if you think he can actually be a third baseman? So I don't know. Like To me, the odds of Carter Keboom being in the starting infield next year are very, very low. One additional point on that is that Trey Turner had to play center field at first to get to the majors. That's remember? right. And then he had to play some second base. Anthony Rendon had to play some second base. So there is a track record of the Nationals getting creative with positions to make sure that bat can join a lineup. All right. You mentioned the uh, the next topic, Chase, and I want to start with you, Todd, on this one. We're going to be talking a lot of hot stove in November, December, so there's a lot more we're going to get to. But the final thing we're going to get to now before we uh, kind of move over to some championship vibe stuff, and that is second base. And Howie Kendrick, Brian Dozier, Esdrubal Cabrera, all are free agents, Todd. So mm-hmm. tell me, who is the opening day second baseman for the Nats? Is it one of those three? Is it someone from the system? Or is it free agent X? To bring Carter Keboom up again, you know, this is a spot that he's been playing too and trying to figure out his footwork around the bag. And of any of the spots for next year for him, to me, at the major league level, this is the most viable because the Nationals have survived for years with bad defense at second base. If you can hit, they've been willing to live with the idea of putting you there. And Daniel Murphy comes to mind. Obviously, he went crazy at the plate for two years, and he was a bad defender the entire time. Uh, They had bad defense this year. Brian Dozier was okay. Howie Kendrick's a bad defender. Asdrubal Cabrera's a below-average defender. So, you know, maybe they think they can live with that. But the way you're able to live with that is because you have Ryan Zimmerman at first plus defender, Trey Turner at short plus defender, and then Anthony Rendon at third base was it for Arenado, he's the gold glove winner, right? So you can survive one hole there. So that, you know, kind of adds to the formula of can you tolerate a bad glove at second base and can you tolerate it being a prospect? There'll be another veteran in here. I'm sure they'll talk to Howie Kendrick, but they're not going to play him there. So it's a tough spot. My guess would be it's going to be free agent X and they'll take a hard look at Carter Keboom there in spring training and probably it'll be free agents X, but none of the guys that you just listed, Tim, probably somebody new. Chase, free agent X for you at second base? Yeah, I think if I had to guess, Keyboom plays there for the, most of the games next year, but, you know, as we've seen in the past, they generally like to have at least one veteran there so that they don't have to rely on a young player. But given Keyboom's on the roster and those other guys are free agents and, you know, he's been knocking on the door at the, at the majors and put up such good numbers in AAA last year, I think the safe guess is that Carter Keboom gets some time at second base. And so I'll go with him being the opening day starter. All right. Well, that wraps up for today's episode, our hot stove portion, looking at the 2020. Again, we're going to be talking about it all off season. So there'll be plenty of more. And if this off season's anything like last off season, we'll have plenty of hot stove stuff for you in January, maybe even February. If it's at all similar. All right, guys, a few days have passed since the championship parade in D.C. We had excellent weather. You heard Todd and I do a recap podcast afterwards, where if you missed the parade, you can listen to uh, all the big names. They spoke at the podium, some really funny moments as well. Chase, you were down there. You were part of our coverage for NBC Sports Washington. You were up close and personal to all of it. You haven't had a chance to talk about your observations and feelings from the parade on Saturday, so take it away. Well, yeah, it was uh, obviously a really cool experience. I was really impressed with the turnout and the energy, you know, down the parade route. And I thought it was a cool element to have all the red sunglasses and the baby shark stuff. It just made it, I think, unique and more memorable than your average sports parade. And, you know, what's kind of funny is that this is the second one I've been to in the last 17 months. So I feel like I'm becoming kind of a championship parade expert. So uh, I can like point out the positives and negatives of a parade now when last year I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I think comparing it to the Caps parade, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if the turnout was even bigger. Uh, obviously, it helped that it was on a Saturday and, uh, you know, the Nationals have a, a really big fan base. I think the only things I would point out is, is possibly they could have been done better is I think maybe the the stage location, and I understand that wasn't really the Nationals in their control. It was kind of in between buildings and kind of blocked off the sight lines for a lot of people, so it wasn't that big of a crowd for the actual rally like we saw with the Caps rally. 
but I, I guess it was uh, in part because of a permit issue and, and there was another event on the National Mall. But the stage itself, the rally itself was awesome. The one thing I would say about that is I wish we kind of heard from more players. You know, we ended up hearing from some players, but Sean Doolittle said like two sentences. Hey, do you guys remember when we brought camels to spring training and everybody laughed at us? Who's laughing now? We never heard from Daniel Hudson, never heard from Patrick Corbin or Kurt Suzuki. Obviously, Kurt Suzuki uh, ended up having his moment a few days later, but I feel like they could have spent more time hearing from the players. We ended up hearing a lot from, uh, I, th I thought the speeches from ownership were great. You can call me Grandpa Shark. But I thought we heard a little bit more from the broadcasters than we did from the players, which is something that talked to a lot of fans who were there. They were like, you know, why didn't we hear from the guys who actually won the World Series? So... That would be my only gripe about it, but it was really cool being there and knowing that it wasn't just a championship parade, it was a World Series parade, and, and D.C. hadn't had one in 95 years, and I just think the, the idea of thinking of it as a World Series parade made it feel so big because, you know, that's been uh, so, something that, you know, cities around the United States have been celebrating for a, long, a lot longer than the other sports, and it, it just has a, a sort of uh, historic value, I think, that was really cool. And the last thing I would say is just, you know, watching those buses go down Constitution Avenue, I'm not sure there's a better setting in the U.S. to have a championship parade than, than Washington, D.C. I think it's just a great reflection of the city and the architecture and the buildings that they drive by that, uh, you know, you just don't get in some of the other cities, even, you know, the cities that have obviously had a lot more parades in D.C. in the last few decades. Yeah, I mean, it blows, though. What's the, Todd, the thing in New York, the Canyon of Heroes that they call it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it blows that out of the water, in my opinion. I agree with you, Chase, on that. Chase, one more thing with it. You you know, your whole childhood, basically until college or at the end of high school, you didn't have baseball, right? And so many people listening mm -hmm. went longer without baseball in Washington. And so now you live in this world. It's a week old where you were at the championship parade to see Washington, D.C. celebrate a World Series title. And now you live here in D.C., where the city is the reigning World Series champions. Like, has your brain wrapped around that new reality yet? <laughs> you know, there's so many scars from my upbringing that it's probably going to take a while for that to, like, really set in. But one thing that really struck me as I was at that parade is just looking around and seeing young kids that are, like, six, seven, eight years old at the parade and wondering, like, were they here last year for the Capitals parade? And do they think that this is normal, that this just happens every year? Because I went to that Capitals parade thinking, like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's never happened before in my lifetime, essentially, you know, when I was uh, basically an infant when the Redskins won. This was, it was like a really special moment for me being from this area. And then it happened again 17 months later. So I just can, can only imagine that the kids that don't know anything different, what it's going to be like as they grow up and realize that, this isn't normal. Having two in two years is really a special uh, confluence of events for the city. And, uh, you know, certainly you hope they don't go through what uh, my generation in this town went through. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine if I grew up in a city without baseball. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an unfathomable like thought to me. Yeah. Todd, I had a little fun with this on Twitter where I found footage of the 91 Braves, the 98 Padres. They won the national oh. league, but they, they, they didn't win the world series. They lost, but then held a parade. And then our colleague, Mark Zuckerman tweeted out that he attended a Phoenix suns rally after they lost in six games to the Chicago bulls in the Twitter era. Would that ever happen now? I feel like you would just get roasted beyond belief. If you lost in the championship round yet held a parade the ratio there trickle in the real life somehow, because I think a bunch of people would show up to boo you if you held a parade <laughs> for, for not winning the championship instead of, yay, we almost did it. Yeah. That's an amazing look. And certainly not one that is viable on any level. Now with social media, you'd be a running joke for years. You know, it's funny how other things have, gone the other way like people storm the field now if they're ranked 19 and they beat the team that's ranked 14 and so they'll storm onto the field in week two you know dumb stuff like that happens now but this stuff is the opposite has gone in the opposite way yes you would get demolished if you had <laughs> any sort of parade for not winning the world series or whatever it may be you know what's so funny about that is like that that is absolutely our culture but you know Teams that don't win at all, like, aren't remembered really that much at all, like, moving forward. Like, obviously, there's, uh, I guess it was the 01 Mariners who had that great record. But, like, 
even if you get to the World Series and fall short, like you just kind of fade away into the memories of most baseball fans. But the Nationals, not only did they win, ensuring that you know all the moments from Juan Soto to Steven Strasburg to Howie Kendrick will be remembered for a long time, but the way they won with the comebacks and the elimination games and being down in all five of them, it's kind of like they're going to be not just remembered like a World Series champion, but probably referenced for a long time as like a glimmer of hope for any team that's underachieving midseason. Certainly in this town, whether it's a baseball team or not, people will be like, well, what about the 2019 Nationals? You know, they did it. I would imagine like 10, 20 years from now, the 2019 Nationals will stand alone kind of in their own like little era as a team that was different and will be remembered, I think, with a longer lasting memory because of the way they did it. Yeah, like the uh, we had an arg- part of our argument with David Martinez earlier in the year with Todd and I. We we I referenced the O three Marlins right because they kind of were the st- they're the standard bearer of changing around midseason. They actually changed managers. Also the O five Astros who made it to the World Series and lost. But now because nineteen and thirty one became such a national headline, not just locally, that I do feel like you're right, Chase. That they're the standard bearer for that. And we're gonna do a lot of fun things looking back at this season and the run throughout the year. So. It's going to be a very fun off season here on the Nationals Talk Podcast. Speaking of fun times, Chase, the parade was Saturday, and then Monday they went to the White House. But in between, on Sunday night, uh, the Nats had their evening at the Caps game, and just sort of like an inverse of when the Caps went to Nationals Park last summer. Wild scene there, players taking their shirts off on the <laughs> Zamboni, and Adam Eaton was doing the T.J. Oshie with drinking the beer through the jersey. Look at this. We got the T.J. Oshie drinking going on there. I know you love Twitter, and I know you love some great Twitter memes. Sunday night must have been an all-time Twitter night for you personally. Absolutely. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, the, the shirtless Zamboni ride, I think, was kind of the moment of the celebration that we'll all remember. It's kind of like the Capitals going to the fountains, although I do wish the Nationals went to the fountains. I'm kind of disappointed that it hasn't become a thing, even though T.J. Oshie literally tweeted out a map of all the D.C. fountains. But I was glad to see it because, honestly – I was a little worried that uh, the Nats were letting us down and not partying nearly as hard as the Capitals. Like 24 hours went by, and there was nothing on social media. So I was glad to see that. I guess uh, you know they kind of maybe they needed to learn how to party from the Capitals. But that was that was really really cool. And just the the uh, the just symmetry between these teams and how they've embraced each other and kind of the brotherhood between them, I think is really cool to see as a DC sports fan and. Also, it's funny that Max Scherzer was kind of the biggest partier of all these guys. I would not have expected that, even though I, I know he likes to have some fun. But that was kind of funny. And also, you know, the, the Nationals did a great job. I think the more that we're removing ourselves from that Capitals Stanley Cup run, the more I'm realizing that, you know, that was just kind of maybe a special group of party animals. Uh, maybe they had, I don't know, a little bit more alcohol tolerance than other teams that have won and celebrated. Uh, maybe a little bit more liver durability. I don't know what it was. But clearly, in terms of purely post-winning celebrations, uh, that was kind of lightning in a bottle. But I was glad to see the Nationals definitely give the town some of that and especially with the the drinking the beer through the jersey stuff with tj oshi was just so so fun to watch yeah hockey players are a special especially unique breed (laughs) in that one i don't even think any baseball player would disagree there one more thing before we're going to get to our colleague savannah mccann who was at the nats park watch party todd now that you know we did these world series pods right we were doing it after every game and obviously mostly focusing on each game step by step we did we did you don't remember it you know, you know, mm. in between subway sandwiches while sleeping on park benches, you don't remember <laughs> doing that. So now that this World Series is over and the 2019 World Series book has been closed and placed on the historical shelf with everything else in baseball's past, just sort of like what's your main rear view kind of thoughts on the arc of the 2019 seven game World Series? Oh, geez. Um, I think it starts with how good. Houston was coming in and also, Oh, I'm very excited that hopefully once and for all, we can get rid of how will the break hurt them? The time off, all that time off to be okay. <laughs> Please. If you ever hear that again, just roll your eyes. Or if you see it in copy, hit the leak. Um, if you hear someone say it out loud, change the channel or walk away. Uh, so hopefully that is gone. Also, well before this, a little tangent here, hopefully the idea of putting up plastic early in the clubhouse because you're about to clinch and that influencing anything that will happen in the future, hopefully that idea is also gone. Um, the jinx of putting up plastic 
Plastic has nothing to do with what happens on a baseball field. Uh, hopefully we got over that too. Subtweet. <laughs> so for this, the series itself, I continue to be astonished how, by how they were able to survive with their pitching. And one other interesting thing, and I, and I haven't gotten around to this much, is the first day in Houston, media day, I caught Davey Martinez in a hallway and we chit-chatted for a few minutes. And one of the things he said to me is he thought that, like I told him honestly that I thought, you know, I'm doing these projections and everyone's asking me who's going to win. I said, every time I look at Houston, it looks like you're very similar to them, but they're a little bit better in each department. And he said he thought it was going to come down to the bullpens. And if you go back and look at what happened, it very much came down to the bullpens because the Nationals in the seventh inning, they kept pulling that out and they were able, then they were able to get a lead and then they were able to hang on to it. And of course, they did it differently. They weren't using many relievers, of course. But that is ostensibly what it came down to in a lot of ways. They, they came back on the starter and, or it was a tight game throughout starter versus starter on the games that they won. But then they got into the bullpen and they did a lot of damage there. As soon as Granke came out, you know, the problems started cooking in, in game seven for Houston. And instead, in their counter, Patrick Corbin, Doolittle, or Hudson, depending on the game, you know, was a productive counter, and they, they won that portion of the game. And so I thought that was very interesting and probably something that we haven't talked about enough. Chase, any uh, mainline thoughts you got for us on the World Series? Yeah, I actually have, have one final thought, and it kind of spins it forward. Um, and I mentioned this uh, to Todd on our stream yesterday for the White House visit. I'm absolutely fascinated to see how the Nationals ownership group and the learners operate now that they've won a World Series and aren't chasing one. Like going into this offseason, like we've seen what happens when they get really, really close. And we know we've heard Ted Lerner's birthday is getting up there and he wants to see a World Series. And they go out and they sign Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin and, you know, take on salary and some trades. I want to see what, what happens now that they've won one. Do they maybe scale their payroll back? I think that's probably the least likely scenario. But, you know, we've seen teams do that. Do they kind of operate where they have, which is maybe a top eight or nine payroll, but have to make some tough decisions on letting guys go? Or do they do what, you know, the Phillies did when they won their one World Series with Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, and Jimmy Rollins and basically go all in on winning a second one? You know, if you recall, they won that World Series with Cole Hamels as their primary starter, and they went out after that and got Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay. Obviously, the Nationals wouldn't do the same thing because they've already got their starters, but I find it interesting when teams recognize, okay, we won one, and we have this window to go get another, so let's just go all in on doing that. And obviously, the Nationals are in a unique spot where they've got to first look to retain their own guys, but I think it's going to be really really interesting because it's, it's basically uncharted territory for this team and this ownership group and um, it can go one of very many different directions in my opinion my kind of final rear view thought on the world series a week later is the amount of storylines that there were in the world series you had in between the whole thing with brandon tobman and the astros assistant gm this was between you know the alcs and the start of game one of the world series a very unusual situation there then you have Juan Soto stealing the show on game one. Fast forward to the day between game two and game three, the travel day on Thursday, where Jeff Lunau again had a difficult press conference and Stephanie Epstein was in the room. Todd talked all about that in the game three podcast. And then you had game three where DC's hosting the World Series for the first time since 1933. Sunday, the whole thing with the President of the United States and the pregame news of Max Scherzer last second not starting. And then you have a seventh game and Max Scherzer starts. And then obviously we had this, you know, classic seventh inning with Howie Kendrick. Like there was just nonstop stuff here that even though there wasn't that one classic game from this World Series, like for instance, the 2018 World Series was five games, really forgettable, but had one classic game, an 18 inning affair, which will always be remembered. 19 doesn't have that, but it does have a lot of storylines mixed in. It'll be interesting to see to me how all that stuff ages. We now welcome in our colleague Savannah McCann. And uh, for all you listening out there, if you are part of a team, a group project at work, and there happens to be one person within the group who's under 25 years old, 
And one could say, based on my career, I was under 25 years old, even into my early 30s. That's for a different time. But <laughs> there are certain duties that fall to that person that no one else has. We've, we've all been there, but Savannah was that person for us. So she took care of all the dirty work. She was the glue to our, our Nats content Aww. team. So we thank her very much for that. And uh, also, before we get started, you were at Nats Park Watch Party here on Game 7. I do want to know, you are a celebrity. You are a Celebrity, what's your area of expertise? Pop culture, celebrity gossip, all of those are my levels of expertise. What is your Tim, real... You can, call, you can call her a celebrity, Tim. It's all right. That's all right. You're going to <laughs> say. You, I would have been on point. What is your real housewives tagline? Oh, my gosh. I'm really on the spot here. Um, It needs to be something creative, something cute, but like a sporty spice type thing. I'll let you think on it and we'll get to I got the- one. Okay. Oh, oh no. How about watch party? There should be a watch party for me. All right. Okay. I like that. It's a good start there. Uh, Savannah, you were there at the watch party at Nationals Park. And uh, so as if you didn't spend enough time down there during the season, you, you were down there when they were playing thousands of miles away all the way in Texas. Just kind of talk about what was the scene like uh, after the final out down in Navy Yard? It was insane. It was kind of building up to it. Of It was pouring down rain, so it was kind of – Empty seats in the beginning. The fans that were there were really excited to be there, but it was pouring down rain. No one was standing. No one was really cheering. And then as the Nats kind of started coming back and everyone started thinking, oh, they are going to win this game. They opened up the gates to Nats Park and started letting fans from the outside to come in. So by the final out, you had the entire second level was full and the entire lower bowl was full of fans. And this was fans that had been out at bars before that came into the park rather than fans that had been buying $15 beers at the park. Yeah. Were were people still buying $15 beers during the watch party? Yes. Okay. People were going all out buying like expensive hot dogs and expensive beers to watch a game being played on a Jumbotron in the pouring down rain. And everyone went nuts when the final out and you swing and a miss, swing and a miss. You couldn't even hear that because the whole place went wild. People were throwing their drinks. You had a guy that took his shirt off and tried to- The dugout diver. Yes. And he tried to like slide across the dugout. (laughs) Did you guys see that? By the way, oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> security there was let him do it. There physics issues going on there. <laughs> <laughs> but security let him do it. They had asked, he's like, "Can I please belly slide on the dugout?" And they're like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna pretend I don't see it." Like there was not a care in the world in Nats Park because everyone had decided, like, "Oh my gosh, we're winners now!" Like so, we sang, "We are the champions." Everyone was having a ball. You watch the trophy presentation, and then everyone left Nats Park and stayed right outside of it. And that was a fabulous, crazy, wild scene that I will never see again, I don't think. People were drinking in the streets. People were chanting and screaming. And anytime they saw a TV camera, they're like, put me on TV. Like, wild. What time did it clear out? I was there until, I was officially there until 2.30. I was unofficially there on my own accord until like 3.30. All right, and then here's another reason I wanted to bring you on. So you went to – you covered, like, what, 70 games this year, let's yeah, say? Yeah, something around that. Okay. Your interest, knowledge level of baseball before opening day this year was what? Oh, slim to none. Okay, so, like, you grew up you, like, kind of a Pittsburgh fan if you had to pick one? If I had to pick one just because that's my hometown team, but, like, I'd have been to, like, three baseball games before covering the Nats. This so you season. knew who, like, Andrew McCutcheon was, but it ended after that? Yeah, pretty much. Like, you didn't even know who Garrett Cole was? Uh, no. Okay. Knew the name, maybe. What were your, and please share it as you have three baseball nerds here with you. Like, what were your just, like, main observations? Like, you couldn't believe it when you were introduced knee-deep into baseball nerdom while sitting in the Nationals Park press box all summer long? It was very weird. I had been in other press boxes before, and it was kind of what I expected it to be. Everyone kind of talks about the sport a little bit, but having a good time, there is, like, silence when the game is on everyone is silent until something happens and then you get the whispers from everyone like what was that what was that what was that i've never seen that before have you seen that before oh, i've seen that before okay cool and then it was silence until someone made an official call and they're like told you i've been there before when that happened like it is the nerdiest group of people that just love what they're doing you have to love baseball to sit in that press box because there is no like joking or smiling or like what's going on like they don't find that funny in those press boxes <laughs> especially not showers <laughs> no correct 
I would text Todd during the middle of the game, just like trying to be funny because I could see his computer screen. So I could see when he would get my text, see when he reads it, and then see when he chooses to respond to my text message. (laughs) (laughs) And more often than not, like when it was ridiculousness, it was like three outs later, he would like finally get back to what I texted him about like so long ago, being like, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. I watched you see it. Of the four major sports that you've covered, are we the biggest nerds of the four in the press box? Hands down. Hands down. It is <laughs> just the way that We will not be offended. Glad it all out. The way that Wait, you guys this love all, the this rules. This is all making Savannah the arbiter of cool and not cool. So I don't know <laughs> At our station, cool she's by her. far the coolest <laughs> person. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Todd, do you want that label? Do you want to be the coolest person? <laughs> No, I'm just saying I don't know if you're in a place where you get to judge. I, I'm, I'm protesting. I'm playing this game under protest. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm letting it slide. I'm New yeah. York. I'm Park <laughs> Avenue here. I'm, I'm totally letting it go under the circumstances. <laughs> Todd, you, uh, you spent a lot of time with Savannah this year. Embarrasser. It didn't feel longer than five seconds, Tim. All right. Well, anything you got for Savannah while you got here on the show? Oh boy. Oh no. No. Yeah. Her text messages were funny because. So to help people listening understand, I'm sitting in the front row of the press box. She's in the essentially the third row, but it's tiered. So she's elevated. That's why she can see over my shoulder. Also, she's not watching the game, which is another reason she's watching my computer screen or whatever else is going on there. Baseball is <laughs> very long and very slow. I needed something else in between yeah. all the pitches to entertain me for a little bit. Yeah, it turns out it's me, um, <laughs> which is a, an unexpected wrinkle to the 2019 baseball season. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to hear what she just said, because there, there's a guy named John who is one of the cooks in uh, media dining, and he's a D.C. guy, and talking. he's been up there, I think, three years in a row now, and talking to him, like, he never cared about baseball. Like, this is just, he worked at Nationals Park, and then eventually put him in media dining as the cook. But now he's all into baseball because he would, like, talk to us and ask us about, you know, X, Y, Z. Why is that like that or this and that? I remember distinctly on the field one day with Savannah going over the lineup, and she's like, oh, I know the lineup, I know the lineup. And so she started to rattle it off. And in one spot, I was like, well, you know, it's, Lefty, righty, lefty. Why? Why did they do that? And do you know the answer, Savannah? Do you remember? Oh, I do remember. I remember this very vividly because whenever you put a pitcher in, they're better facing the handed batter. The handed pitcher should match up. So if you try to bring someone in to face a lefty, then they face a righty immediately after, and then a lefty comes back in. So you're throwing the whole thing off. You can't just bring someone in to face all your lefties at once. Right. right, so you're Great splitting job. the lefties in the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> Great so job. Nervous. <laughs> she is sweating bullets here. Not, not like Max Scherzer in Houston, but but pretty close. All right, we're going to yeah. wrap it up there. Uh, we got Chase, lead us off. Any parting shots for us before we go? Ooh, parting shots? Um, Do it every single time, and now you're taking Todd's role where you're like stunned, <laughs> taking it back when I all of a sudden ask uh, you the same thing I ask you every show. Eight months later, yeah. Uh, I will just say this real quick. Uh, Savannah picking the coolest of the three of us is like, well, I guess, you know, every team in baseball needs an all-star. Technically the Miami Marlins have the best player too. <laughs> yeah. Chase, you win the, between the three of us, you win that one uh, very, very <laughs> easily. I'm not, not afraid to, to give you that one. Todd, you got anything for us before we go? I think it's kind of crazy that for the second consecutive year at the winter meetings, the number one team talked about is going to be the Washington Nationals. Last year was the yeah. Bryce Harper situation as it related to them. This year is going to be Anthony Rendon and presumably still Steven Strasburg, though. I wouldn't be too surprised if the Strasburg thing moves kind of rapidly. But in all likelihood, they're going to be the most talked about team again. They won the World Series. They have two of the three premier free agents. It's an interesting world and an interesting storyline and an interesting kind of like power position that the organization has moved itself into. Once again, at the winter meeting, Scott Boris will hold a media scrum with uh, no less than 200 people around him. And where will that location be, Todd? San Diego. No, but specifically, where will that press conference be within whichever closed structure he will be in? Oh, for Boris? Yes. I would assume he's going to be uh, (laughs) on the bow of a battleship that's tied down in San Diego Harbor somewhere and we can go out there and meet him and he'll hold court 
because whatever last year it was in front of a 25 foot tall Christmas tree. That's what I was setting you up there for. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So this year, God knows what's next. He stood on one of our, actually uh, one of our camera Pelican boxes, very large Pelican box. So he was elevated above the reporters. Greg Abernathy's uh, Pelican box was Scott Boris's prop last year at the winter meetings. Well, it's been his spot in baseball's hierarchy for the last 20 years. So fitting. Uh, Savannah, I'm going to give you a parting shot here as you're joining us here at the end. I do want to thank you, and for all your hard work, I just want to say that I'm planning on attending opening day for the Nats in New York next year, so if you could take care of the credential, that'd be appreciated. I don't need parking because it's New York, but I just want to put that on your radar, and I'll remind you of that. Oh, please, I got Uh, it. Any parting shot before we go? I just want to say thank you guys for letting me be a part of your baseball coverage all season long, teaching me baseball along the way. Todd, for letting me bother you for... 70-plus games this season, and Todd can't wait to hang out with you at spring training. (laughs) If they were to redo the odd couple in 2019, I know they've had a few reboots, but Savannah and Todd, for my opinion, would be within that, uh, would be on the short list uh, that I would take to to whichever Hollywood meeting I was in. Don't give her any ideas. (laughs) Before we go, uh, I do want to say, and this is completely self-serving for all of us, but I do actually think you would enjoy it. So I'm being upfront about it, but I also think it's to your advantage. Go back and re-listen to all of our post-game pods from October, from all 17 games. You relive all the moments and little things that happen in the moment that you forget now that we're, you know, it's a week or a month later from these games. So I highly recommend going back through our archives and checking out those, including right after the, the crazy game against Milwaukee or hear us after they lost game three on Sunday night, 10 to four to the Dodgers, and they had to win two in a row just to get out of that round. And so all of that. So I I highly recommend you do that. And again, it's completely self-serving for us. We get the downloads, but we're being upfront about it. So we're not doing anything behind your back from the parade that chase talked about uh, and did a great job with it. The Bud Light guy from game five, who took a home run to the chest had his own float, which is just incredible on top of getting to go to game six in Houston. And also Lamar security guard, who I've become good friends with throughout this season. I was talking to him after the parade and he's lived in DC his whole life and was a Senators fan and then went through a long period without a team and talking to him, like there were tears in his eyes after the parade. And I think there are a lot of people like him. And so I just want to give all the people who are like Lamar, who've lived in DC for forever, uh, shout outs there. We're going to be back with you next week. We're still figuring things out here with the off season. We got some cool things in the cooker though. A lot of things planned. We got so many things to talk about between this championship run and Strasburg and Rendon and everything else that it's going to be. And Todd's going to hate me when I say this. It's going to be spring training before you know it. And even though Todd's on the phone, he's (laughs) probably going to punch me through the phone as I say that. So going to go out, going to go out on that note and uh, check out uh, Redskins Talk podcast. The guys uh, spoke about the Buffalo Bills game before their bye week. So I want to give a head nod over to our guys, JP and the guys with Redskins Talk. For Savannah, for Todd, for Chase, this is Tim. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.